tensions about being a Christian is that you know what you believe and you may even be really excited about what you believe. And yet, every once in a while, someone will take a shot at your faith. Now, they're not really trying to open up a conversation. They just say things like, so you're a Bible person, right? Oh, I forgot you're religious. Or you probably can't come on Sunday because of church, right? Or I used to go to church, insert bad church experience. And you're sort of taken off balance and you sort of don't know what to say and the subject changes, but you're like, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. And again, they're not necessarily interested in that conversation. They just sort of give this like hit and run comment about faith. And if you're like me, you don't really know what to say. And so you sort of just chuckle and jump into the new subject. Maybe the most worst case scenario about this, I should say, involves family. Uh, Maybe your father-in-law has never really accepted the fact that you're a Jesus follower and now you've got his daughter. Or maybe your sister and mother have the same three comments and same three arguments every time religion comes up. Or you have a friend who tells you the same story about the church they visited once, and there's really no open doors, and so you sort of just jump into the new topic. One of the interesting things about those comments, though, is that at least in Western culture, um, generally speaking, people don't take shots at Jesus. These are kind of interesting because they'll take shots at your church, at your morality. They'll take shots at the Christians that they've met. They'll take shots at the Bible, heaven, faith. Um, even their bad church experience. But people generally don't take shots or say something bad about Jesus. They sort of avoid Jesus and take shots at everything else. And today we're starting a series called Prepared. And over the next three weeks, I hope to help you to be prepared with anchor points to sharing your faith. That when, not if, but when opportunities come our way, we can move from sort of those passing comments to having conversations that will hopefully percolate over time. And to do this, we're going to look at the words of someone who knew all about sharing their faith in Jesus. Peter had a fishing business with his dad and his brother until one day Jesus comes by, a teacher comes by, and starts preaching. Well, Peter's drying his nets and he's also listening to Jesus's message. And then after the message, Jesus asks Peter to take him fishing. And Jesus helps Peter to catch all of these fish. And then Jesus looks at Peter and says, follow me. Well, Peter did follow Jesus and he actually believed in Jesus until Jesus was arrested. And Jesus, or Peter sort of gave up on his faith and completely abandoned it because Messiahs and Saviors don't get arrested, right? But Jesus was arrested and he was crucified. And then Peter's one of the people who peers into an empty tomb and then later he has breakfast with the resurrected Jesus. And Peter shared about Jesus the rest of his life, including writing some letters. But Peter lived during a very difficult time when it was very very dangerous to, sh- to talk about Jesus, or it's very dangerous to even be a Jesus follower. So eventually, Peter is crucified. But Peter says, I'm not worthy to die like my Savior. And the Romans, unfortunately, having a very sick sense of humor, tradition tells us they crucified Peter upside down. But in his first letter, Peter has a very important tip to help us to be prepared when faith comes up. So we're going to look at some verses, we're going to discuss them, and then I want to give you one thing you should do to prepare right now for sharing your faith. And then next week, we're going to talk about how to uh, address the Bible when sharing your faith. And then in week three, we're going to talk about suffering. The question of, if there's a good God, how come there's so much suffering in this world? We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. If you want to follow along the Bible app, you can go to the More menu option, then select Events, and you can find our church there on the map. Um, otherwise, the notes and verses will be on the screen as well. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. 
Now, Peter lived in a day and age when it was very likely that, you know, he was threatened and he understood what these threats were like. In fact, if you don't remember, he was going to be eventually killed for his faith. But in our day and age, in our nation, we really don't suffer too much for our faith. But you should know that there are people who will die for their faith today. There are people around the world who will die for their faith because they're a follower of Jesus. And, and today there are going to be churches that are going to be broken up simply because they're Christian churches. And in our world, it can kind of be dangerous, but it was also very dangerous in Peter's world as well. And then the message that the Christians were sharing was kind of challenging because the Roman emperors, the Caesars, would sort of consider themselves divine or someone would declare them divine. But the message of the Christians was that, no, you're not divine Caesar, and we're not going to bow down to you. And the Roman gods that you worship, they're not divine either. And so it really became not just a religious thing, but it became a very political thing and a very dangerous thing for the early Jesus followers. And so the man who was crucified upside down tells us, don't worry or be afraid of their threats. So a question for discussion, what causes you the most apprehension about sharing your faith? Now, remember, Peter was later crucified for following Jesus, but he tells us to not be afraid or to worry about their threats. He continues on. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Now, basically, decide once and for all that Caesar or maybe even the president or whatever leader is not the Lord of your life or not the leader of your life. Decide once and for all that your career is not the Lord of your life. Decide once and for all that your stuff or stuff in general is not the Lord of your life. Decide once and for all that Jesus is the leader and wants to sit on the throne of your life and maybe even the driver's seat of your heart. That that's what Peter says we should start off with. Another translation says it this way, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, which is the reason for the series title that we have prepared, right? He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And it's for the hope that you have personally. And it's kind of interesting. This is really important because he's not saying be prepared and be ready to defend your Christian worldview and be, do it in a very convincing way. He, he's not saying be ready to sort of defend all the imperfect behavior of Christians of previous centuries. He's not saying even to be ready to defend the Bible, which is pretty hard to do. He's not saying be ready to somehow give a defense of your church. He's not saying be ready to give a defense of, of just Christians in your current time period that are just behaving improperly. He doesn't say any of that. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That you should have a short answer for this. That we should always have a short answer ready for this. That we should sort of have an elevator pitch ready. Not in some sort of sleazy way, but in a way that would be able to communicate clearly why we have hope and why we are following Jesus. That all those other things are sort of interesting to talk about, but you can eventually find answers or other resources to those answers, or you can just even have more conversations with somebody. But as a Jesus follower, whether you're young or old, you should have an answer to this question of why do you have hope and here's why I'm following Jesus and here's why I have hope and confidence in him. And now if you were going to ask Peter, like, what's the reason for the hope that you have or what, what's the answer that you give to that question? Peter would tie it to one word, the resurrection. That's what he would tie this whole thing to because he would say it's pretty simple. Like, I saw Jesus crucified and then I had breakfast with him on the beach. Like, I don't know how many people you know that can, that can predict their own death and resurrection and then do it. 
but Jesus did that. And when someone does that, you just sort of follow them. That's sort of just what you do. And if you read the rest of 1 Peter, the chapters before particularly, um, this is what Peter ties his hope to. His hope is tied to the resurrection. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Again, like Peter, why is your hope anchored to Jesus? And Peter would say, well, because Jesus rose from the dead. Do you know anybody else that's risen from the dead? To which we would say no, right? And he says, Look, of course, exactly. That's where my hope is with him. Verse 21 of chapter one, he says, through Christ, you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. That I have hope because Jesus rose from the dead. Like that's why I have hope. And you know why I'm not afraid? And you know why eventually I would give my life to, to die for Jesus, to say that I'm a follower of Jesus? Peter would give his life and he would believe this not just because of belief, but he would do this because of something he saw and something he experienced. He had breakfast with a crucified man. Back to 1 Peter chapter 3, he says this in verse 16. But do this, he says, talking about sharing your faith. If you're going to be prepared to share your faith, you need to do this in a way that is gentle and respectful. Keep your conscience clear, he says. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. And when he says this in a, in a gentle and respectful way, he's basically saying this isn't to win an argument. This isn't some sort of competition. And this is where, as American Christians, we've gotten this so, so wrong. But it's not just a Christian thing. In reality, it's actually a kind of a human thing that um, particularly American Christians have gotten wrong. But it's basically this thing where we've sort of felt like we were the majority. And so we started to speak with a level of authority that we really didn't have. And it's even debatable if we were the majority in the first place. But any group of people, when they start to think they're the majority, they start to think and feel and act like they have this sense of authority. And then that sort of leads into a boldness, a boldness that's, that's ungentle and can become quite disrespectful. And unfortunately, this is what has undercut our credibility in our culture, that Christians have done this for generations. And this is what has hurt us. In fact, some of you might not be Christians because you've met some of us, or maybe some of you aren't Christians because you've worked for some of us. But the thing is that this isn't about winning an argument. This isn't about being better than somebody else. This is about being gentle and respectful as our Savior was gentle and respectful. That Peter says sharing your faith is not some sort of a competition or it's, it's really not a reason to be disrespectful at all. That really, if, if I look at myself personally, if I went through the things that you went through, if I was raised the way that you were raised, if I experienced what you experienced, I would probably believe like you, even if you don't believe in Jesus, especially maybe if you don't believe in Jesus. And Peter's saying that we need to do this in a gentle and respectful way. But he also says, you need to keep your conscience clear. Basically, don't do anything that would cause the person that you're talking to about your faith to look at you as somebody who's guilty of something. That they wouldn't look at you and say, oh, yeah, that person guilty, I can't listen to them. I'm just gonna write off what they have to say. But basically, you need to live as such a way that your words and your actions line up, that your words are important in what you say about your faith and how you share your faith, but your life is also just as important, that your words and your behavior matter. And there's several great illustrations of this throughout history. Um, the one that we're gonna talk about is about 75 years after Jesus was on earth, um, about AD 110, when Trajan was the emperor of the Roman Empire. And um, different emperors had different views about emperor worship, but Trajan actually wanted them to worship him. Um, and it sort of was more of a political thing than anything because you were sort of swearing your allegiance to the government, which was sort of a good thing in emperor's minds. 
Um, and so uh, eventually persecution breaks out in various different areas of the Roman Empire against Christians because the Christians would not swear allegiance to the Roman Empire, to, to the Roman Emperor Trajan. Um, and then there was a province in, in sort of modern day Turkey where there was a governor who was sort of leading that, that area of the world. And his name was Pliny the Younger. Now, Pliny the Younger, like the other governors in the Roman Empire, received a letter from Trajan, the emperor, saying basically round up all the Christians and gather them up. And there's kind of, kind of a couple of different exchanges between Pliny the Younger, the governor, and Trajan, the emperor. And basically, Pliny would tell the emperor, like, okay, so we've round up all the Christians in the cities and outside the cities and in the farms. There's actually quite a bit of Christians, and we've tortured some, we've killed some. Now what do we do? And so he's sort of asking Trajan, the emperor, what do we do now? And Pliny the Younger sort of describes to Trajan what he's found out about the Christians and sort of interrogating them and, and spying on them and torturing them and killing some of them. And here's what he writes back to Trajan. And, and you can kind of see a little glimpse into why Pliny is writing to Trajan, unsure of what to do with these Christians. And this is just going to be a snapshot. But you can Google this yourself and you can look at the whole letter that Pliny wrote yourself. Just uh, Google Pliny the Younger. Um, he says this, The sum and substance of their fault or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsibly a hymn to Christ as to a God. Basically, pause for a second. Basically, Pliny sort of discovered, like we've discovered that the one thing that they do is they meet on a set day every week and they do it before dawn, which was actually a work day for them. So they would get up before work and gather together to sing this song or sing this hymn responsibly. Now, I want you to imagine this. They got up before dawn to worship Jesus. Now, for my family and maybe some of you, it was difficult to get to church online by 1030 this morning, right? But there was a group of Christians 2,000 years ago who embraced Jesus and they had nothing. They had no literature. They had no Bible. They had no Bible app. They had, they had no buildings probably for sure. And yet they would gather together on a Sunday, on the first day of the week that they were gonna have to work on after that. But they would gather before dawn to sing these hymns. And the reason they would sing these hymns or sing these songs, because that was the way that they taught the teachings of Jesus through those songs. And they would sing these songs as if Jesus was a God. Now, if you're a Jesus follower, these are the people that we are connected to as Jesus followers. He continues on and says, and to bind themselves by an oath, not to some crime, but not to commit fraud, not to commit theft and not to commit adultery not falsify their trust, nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. That basically, we've heard that they're criminals and that's probably why you want us to gather them up, Trajan, like, oh, great emperor. But Pliny says, like, well, we're not so sure why we should gather them up because we sort of investigate this oath and it's not like they're trying to divide the empire. It's not like they're trying to sort of take over. They're not even really criminals, we don't think. So why did we gather them up and why should we capture them? They might actually be the best citizens in our area. It doesn't seem like they're criminals. And can you imagine what would happen in our communities if Jesus followers tomorrow would gather together before dawn and sing a hymn together and then bind themselves with an oath, no theft, no adultery, no fraud, do what we're supposed to do or do what we say we're gonna do and then actually live that way? And Peter says that's good actually is important. That's what you should actually do. Because by doing that, you're going to give them a snapshot of why you follow Jesus. Back to Peter's letter about sharing our faith. He says this in verse 17, remember it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. 
that they're suffering in this world and there's sort of no really way to get around it. So why not suffer for doing good rather than suffer for doing bad? Why not suffer for telling the truth if you're gonna lose your job rather than suffering because you told a lie? Why not suffer um, and get penalized for something for doing the right thing rather than for doing the wrong thing? He continues on verse 18. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. That Christ also suffered. So if you're suffering, you're suffering like your Savior suffered. But what Christ accomplished through our suffer- his suffering is really quite tremendous. He suffered to accomplish your salvation and my salvation. And Peter says that we need to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have and why we're following Jesus. But while we're preparing for that, it might cost us something, which is the very message that we're trying to convey, that it costs God something to secure our eternity. And so the question that we need to answer, that we need to have an answer for, and we're gonna kind of get into this a little bit next week as well, but the question is, why have you chosen to follow Jesus? Like the short answer, not not the book, not the long paragraph, just the the short answer. What's the short reason for that? Because there's going to be longer opportunities and those might come and I hope those are there. But most of the time, our opportunities need to be thoughtful and concise. Our answers need to sort of fit within that, that framework. Because when someone brings up the Old Testament, the New Testament, the book of Revelation, suffering in the world, or, or did Jesus really say that? Or, you know, is, is Revelation literal or is it figurative? Or uh, did, you know, some pastors have done this. What about that? What about this? And they ask you all these questions. The question that you need to have an answer to is why is your hope anchored to a Jewish carpenter? That's really what this all sort of boils down to. And I, I want to make a suggestion about your answer, but I would really say that our answer sort of needs to be similar to what Peter says. It sort of needs to be tied to the resurrection, that we sort of need to get comfortable weaving in the resurrection into our reason for why we are following Jesus. And and Paul said this, he said, and if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. That the foundation, the epicenter of our faith, basically the center of everything and the reason why you and I are Christians is because Jesus rose from the dead. Now you might say like, no, Chris, like that's not the reason why I'm a, a Christian. It's because my life was falling apart and I asked Jesus to come into my heart. Well, yes, But the reason that that made a difference in your life was because Jesus is alive. And the reason that Jesus is alive is because he rose from the dead. And the reason that you feel that thing inside of you that made a difference or that that hope that you have is because Jesus is alive. He's a living person. And more on this next week. But again, our answer sort of has to include the resurrection because our answer for hope and why we follow Jesus is based in his resurrection. So here's sort of an example of something that I'd like us to repeat in just a second. But basically, I believe Jesus died for my sin and he rose from the dead. That that's sort of the epicenter, that there might be some questions that people give you about, well, what about this and what about that? And you can say, well, yeah, I don't know the answer to that. And that does trouble me as well. But let me just tell you, the reason that I trust in Jesus, the reason that I have hope is because I believe Jesus died for my sin and he rose from the dead. So I want us to repeat that in just a second. But if you're not a Christian, I'm not trying to trick you here. You don't need to say this. You don't have to repeat it if you don't want to. But I'd encourage those of us who are Jesus followers, this is the epicenter of our faith. So let's say this together. I believe that Jesus died for my sin and he rose from the dead. And if you're a Christian, that's our hope. That's what we are looking to. That's why we follow Jesus. That that Peter and, and Jesus would even say, we don't have to necessarily explain like, was it the Red Sea or the Reed Sea? Like, did the Egyptians drown in like four inches of water or did they drown in this huge body of water? Like, we don't have to necessarily have all that figured out. We don't necessarily have to have it all figured out of if Revelation is all literal or if it's somewhat literal and some figurative. 
We don't have to have it all figured out of, you know, is there six literal days or is it six time periods that creation happened? And that's not the question that we need to answer. Those are all great questions and we can find answers to those questions. But the reason that I follow Jesus, the reason that I have hope is because I believe Jesus died for my sins and he rose from the dead. And I don't believe this because the Bible says so. It's so much better than that. And next week, we're going to get to the better than that part as we continue to be prepared. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this scripture. Thank you for Peter. And really, in some ways, we just can't even imagine the terror that he felt and being arrested and, and all that he was going through. And really, in some ways, he could have gotten out of it by just saying Caesar is Lord. And yet he didn't believe that. He believed that you were his Lord and you were the leader of his life. So God, would you please forgive us for betraying our faith by just being silent at times or just being afraid? Would you help us to have the courage and the boldness that Peter had and that so many men and women before us would risk their lives for that we could even get to this place to gather in your name? So God, would you do something in us uh, to give us a boldness, a new and sort of fresh boldness that maybe we haven't seen or experienced for a while? And not a boldness that's disrespectful, but a boldness that's gentle and respectful because you are gentle and respectful and you gave your life on our behalf. So would you help us to lay down our life for others as we share this hope that we have? Thank you for dying for our sins and rising from the dead so that we can have hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.